0: This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast, stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity.
1: This is episode 40 of the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast, and this episode's guest is founder and director of Arts Chaplaincy International, Sharna Lovell. Shana speaks about growing up as a pastor's kid and moving to Asia for her teenage years. She shares insight into the world of chaplaincy and gives her perspective on working with all kinds of people, from the homeless population on the streets of Sydney to top designers at Fashion Week. Shana also speaks about her recent work with the UN and her own journey through life and faith. You can help expand the audience of this podcast by leaving a quick rating of review on Apple Podcasts, and by subscribing, you'll get an automatic episode download monthly. You can also like and follow this series on SoundCloud. And now, here is my conversation with Shana Lovell. I was born um,
2: originally in Melbourne, actually, so my parents were um, pastors and teachers in Melbourne. And uh, I was there until I was about five and, or six, and then they decided to go on the mission field. So then after that, um, when I was in my, just before my pre-teens, we headed off to Malaysia. Wow, and what are some of your early memories? So I remember, I guess being a pastor's kid and a and a missionary kid falling asleep in church church corners and mm-hmm. when my parents would travel to speak different places I would have to always go and, and be that be polite and be quiet <laughs> have yeah. to talk to all the adults and my parents would say you know be on your best behavior yeah. <laughs> um, and entertain myself so I remember having with my brother uh, entertaining ourselves and creating games while my parents would be, be ministering in different churches and as I also remember uh, especially in Malaysia days um, you know living in different missionary houses as well and um, mm. I went to we actually were a a part of an amazing church there, uh, Glad Tidings. Yeah, such a great church community. And um, yeah, I, I have really great memories of the church family that made us feel really welcome. I actually learnt some of the lingo. <laughs> it's really funny because it was that kind of formative age to when I was in Malaysia. So yeah. um, I think it's sometimes I thought I was Malaysian.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting because I was going to ask you, like, were you quite immersed in the local culture? Yeah. You were? I was because I was homeschooled as well so mm-hmm. I
2: wasn't in an expat school or anything like that so I was very much kind of with our neighborhood that were the local kids and the local church so they still laugh at me because I was like preteen uh, teen at, at one stage and uh, I was I was that kid that was always trying to get into the college connect <laughs> group and things like that even though I was younger I kind of somehow I guess that's so- what happens sometimes when you have to travel. a lot um, you become a bit mature beyond your years so Mm.
1: um, so that made me have to really assimilate well into the culture and I normally ask people if they have like a first or an early memory of God or religion or spirituality being a pastor's kid I I presume a lot of your memories are kind of immersed in that world What kind of approach did your parents take to to letting you form your faith, and what was your experience?
2: I've had really great parents, so
1: they were always kind of al- allowed
2: me to to explore my faith um, myself. So I was very privileged in the, in that fact. Church was compulsory, um, but they did give me. Sp- to be able to have my own identity but having said that I did have a a really early encounter with God and uh, it happened when I was um, was quite young actually and it was actually in the 90s when there would be a lot of evangelists and and, um, during that time I think uh, was a very significant time in the church culture I I grew up Pentecostal that was my my back faith uh, background and Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a very uh, interesting time because there was a real awareness of spirituality uh, in the in the Pentecostal church services and. Yeah. Um, and I was very privileged to witness lots of the signs and and miracles and things that were happening at the time. So um, I got to see where there were the the evangelists coming into the churches and, and seeing seeing for myself people getting miraculously healed and just God really moving people's lives and, and radical transformations as well of people who had been struggling with different things and mm. um, really have an encounter for themselves that would even make them want to give up drugs or, you know, want to go into full-time ministry. And so mm. I guess as, as a, a young kid, I was really privileged to, to witness this and and being in that in, environment and and being um, engaged with the Spirit myself, I think that, yeah, that really impacted me to also want to give my life to, to serve Jesus as well and be able to really bring change in people's lives people's lives as well because I was always a very shy kid and um, even though we had to travel a lot I felt that yeah I wasn't the most outgoing kid and I struggled a lot with things like Having to talk to people and 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 change was always was actually something that I really struggled with. It would would really force me to have to have a, a really deep relationship with God because I had to give up friends and and things like that. And and so it really gave me that grounding and that encounter with God. So I think the work that He did through that began to change me and give me a lot more confidence as well.
1: And that led to me wanting to serve Jesus I mean you mentioned there about saying like people being healed in church services and things like that so was your response as a child was that kind of normalized for you or were you amazed by that because to a lot of people even to a lot of Christians that's pretty crazy it's pretty out there yeah, I, I mean, you see people come off, off the streets and
2: uh, have no world view of any of this stuff and, and then mm. seeing them suddenly, you know, not, like people who are not being able to walk suddenly be able to walk. And, and even just those um, emotional, I think it can be quite an emotional experience for some people too and, and seeing seeing them quite impacted as well. Definitely, it definitely impacted me as, as, a, as a young kid and wondered what, what was happening. But I think it... It definitely set me up to to see what is possible, I think. I think there's something really interesting about um, seeing with your own eyes. And Mm. I think we can hear these stories, but being able to see it really impacted
1: me quite, quite a lot. Wow. it's awesome. And how about school? So you were homeschooled. Yeah. How was that? I actually
2: really liked it personally, because I think because i I am I was a lot more introverted. So mm. probably being able to do my own thing was a good thing. So I did primary school in Melbourne, but was when we left to go to Malaysia uh, that I did um, homeschooling because there was also a period of time where my parents had to do a special course. A teaching course for what they were going to be doing overseas so mm-hmm. um so then I had to go there first before we went over so rather than put me in different schools then I left that school then started the homeschooling journey right until wow.
1: Malaysia until we came back to came to Sydney then after that. And did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? yeah i did actually i was actually one of these people that were really fortunate to to actually
2: know what i wanted to do as i said as a kid um i mean i really encountered um my faith quite early and um and i have really early memories like i i was such a strange kid (laughs) like i i was i think from an early age i was um already organizing my friends and i always had kind of like a creative bent to me so I would be the one that would um be like let's do a dramatic performance and entertain all the adults like, um or let's do even at that stage um I would be like okay let's let's make a plan to go out and, and feed all the homeless people <laughs> Now I look back and I'm like, wow, (laughs) I don't know how I got away with it. I think we had some very understanding adults that would kind of humor us even though we probably didn't have the capacity at that stage to do it. Um, But yeah, I think I was always a kid that really wanted to give back and
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, and wanted to express caring for people in in that kind of way. So once I went to Malaysia and kind of caught that kind of bug, I, I... was kind of a bit sad actually having to come back to Australia I think that was a bit bit harder than actually going to going. I mean Malaysia going there was hard but coming back was probably harder cause, wow how old were you um when I came back I was um 16 mm-hmm. so it was that real teenage years where I think I had my 16th birthday when I just had come back to Australia so my idea of who I was was still being shaped at that time so Mm.
1: yeah wow and so what did life look like for you after that so we came back to sydney so that i could finish high
2: school basically because i was about to go into my hsc and they wanted me to kind of have a year before i went to into my hsc to kind of assimilate back into australian culture um, and it be into a school because I'd obviously never been to a high school mm. <laughs> being um, being homeschooled. So that was really interesting kind of coming from having to be self-sufficient and teach myself to suddenly being in a class of teenagers <laughs> uh, and, and me kind of being used to being with uh, adult, like older people and then being to with people my own age it was kind of a bit of a culture shock.
1: Yeah, I bet. Would you say it was a negative or positive overall? Um, now looking back, I can see that it was a
2: positive. I think at the time I probably thought it was a negative thing. Mm. Uh, it was a real season of like, God, why? Like it's so much change and, you know, I just want to be back in Malaysia and I don't want to be here. I think I was probably there. It was a bit hard then for my parents because I was um, struggling to to adapt back. Yeah, and then you've got to kind of make choices then to yeah, be like okay, I'm I'm going to make the most of this mm. <laughs> as long as I, as I'm here and and where is God in in this and and what does he want to teach me. So
1: What did you do after school? Yeah, so after school, I
2: I kind of wanted to go down the whole like Bible college way, but my parents said to me, "No, Shana." You've been in church circles for so long wow. that we feel that you need to kind of get into the real world.
1: <laughs> yeah. right.
2: So um, so after that, I actually went and did um, a diploma in community services. So I was kind of like, well, what's if I can't kind of be in a church setting, so what will I do? So I actually then went and did uh, a diploma in community services. So same thing uh, but different. And I was really thankful that I did that. I think that's when God just really taught me a lot more about what brokenness looks like. And mm. um, I think now social work and communities, a lot, more, a lot more people do that. But I think back then, you know, it was just when it started to become, you know, come a bit more popular. I think people more went the psychology way rather than doing community work. Yeah, I was really thankful for that because I think God just, Began to I- expand my view and show me that not everybody has such a great <laughs> doesn't have such a great up- upbringing that I was blessed to have and and there's really real issues out there.
0: Mm. So I
2: majored in I majored in domestic I did a bit of domestic violence. So we got to major in different majors and I did I did counselling as well. So but yeah, the whole um, domestic violence side of things, especially, was quite. And I did a bit of drug and and alcohol as well. So, and my class was a very interesting class. It was in the city, and I remember this is going straight from <laughs> from from school into a class that had somebody who was um into sex workers. So they were um all about health and well being in there, and then I also had um just so many different religions and mm. and people like that. And I loved it. Like I loved um like learning we all had something different to share and different experiences and being able to debate in areas of ethics and things like that and people who were were already working in there had somebody who was the head of a a buddhist monastery and then yes someone that was an ex-prostitute and now working with the sex workers Um, we also had a catholic catholic nun in there as well that was really interesting Uh, and then we had quite a lot of hippies from the mountains as well so um, it was quite yeah I really enjoyed it and our class is still really close now so professionally it
1: was really great too. And so it sounds like you came from a background was quite whole and quite healthy yeah you hear people having different perspectives on Mm. whether you need to come from some kind of brokenness in order to help people yeah or whether you need to have experienced something yourself in order to really relate yes like what was that a issue for you at any point what's your view on that it can go both ways i think Mm. Um, sometimes being having
2: been there can really can be a good thing but then it can also be a bad thing too it depends how much you know you've you've healed and moved, moved mm. forward in community services as well. Like I yeah. think it's really important to get skills if you really want to help people in different areas. I think I think the training was really invaluable because well I might not have walked that journey, I learned tools and like empathy and mm. um, perspective and asking kind of the right questions. And, and I think I too was really interested, like the course that I did too made us actually go out into the field too. So it wasn't one of these courses that we just sat in and did lectures. We actually had to go out and experience and sit on the streets. And um, I did some very interesting, very interesting kind of placements over that time where uh, I got to actually hear and see and witness for myself. So, and I think it just comes really with that that heart of compassion as well. I think you don't always have to have lived it that you can, you can have a real desire to just see injustice too. And just, I think that's really what I through through that really learned a real se- sense of justice and things that I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was out there. Like I'd seen things, I guess, Given my upbringing, like my parents, they were um doing teach they they were they were educators as well. So when we went to Malaysia, they were doing a lot of teaching and and working a lot with people who'd gone through break broken relationships and a lot of like community work and things like that. And um, I mean, I used to answer the phones, so, like um, even though I was quite young, and or I would be the one that would be hosting them at the door and things like that. So I think that early exposure did. Prepare me as well, yeah. and for that, and and um and I do remember, yeah, people coming in and not being able to get to my parents, but but crying on the end of the phone, and and I would have to be the one that would listen to them, and and I kind of learned those skills along yeah. the way, um, even as a, as a young kid. So um, yeah, I think that came invaluable when I was doing doing this study as well. Yeah, I think sometimes too, just having. Um, that shock value you too yeah. Um, yeah went okay what can we do about this because there's a, there's a real world out there and um, and I was really thankful because it made me um, go oh I can't do that life anymore because I have to be out here where the people are and it gave me a real paradigm shift
1: Wow yeah. And so, what did you pursue after coming through your studies? So, I actually then went into the
2: social work sector after that. So, I worked in um, mental health for a while. So, uh, I did um, mental health and um, and then also looking after so volunteers for an organisation. I was looking up to volunteers that were going in supporting people with mental health, and then I was also doing mental health work at work as well, and then also working with homelessness and social isolation. So I would be the one that would, um, where people would come to our agency who would, people who are who are at risk, at risk or were already in those places, and um, and I would go and assess the needs, um, and then sometimes all people need really is just. Somebody to listen to them, I yeah. find. Like, you know, you can give them services and things like that, but they just really want to be heard. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest things with with people, they just want to see that they matter and yeah. um and that they're not forgotten and that somebody cares enough just to take that time to to really evaluate not what we think that they need but but what what are the core issues there. So I was yeah. really privileged to be that person. Who was able just to talk to them and then help them get the right needs and and then facilitate volunteers to be able to um yeah to to increase their quality of life so we had some amazing volunteers who would just sometimes if, especially if they had high anxiety or something like that is often you know there's a whole lot of mirrored i think people can be so com- complex too there's so much mm-hmm. that can go in into a person um that causes them maybe to be be like they are or be on a particular stage of journey. Mm. And so we would provide, um, yeah, volunteers that would even try and help them. Like if they had a fear of going out shopping that they would break it down and, and, and help them reach goals or um, just come and have a, a cup of tea with them and, and connect them back to the real world. So, or if they'd had a traumatic, Act accident, we had volunteers that would go in and, and help them in the rehabilitation process. So yeah, so it was really interesting. And I was also working too with a refugees um, centre as well. Yeah, so I, I really I really enjoyed that. And I was working with refugees and also alongside actually the Muslim worker. So there was actually a, a Muslim um, program there too. So I was helping with the welfare with her youth program too. So. Um, so yes,
1: I had kind of a a few jobs during that time, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Amazing. And then you kind of entered the chaplaincy world, which is interesting because it's kind of, I guess, a bit of a bridge between, you know, the broader society and the church. Yeah. How did you end up there? So I was working out in the community sector, but then also uh, attending my local
2: church as well. Um, and I guess, cause I do have like, my passions are more creative and, and in that way. So um, I found myself in, um, in a group in our church that was working with creatives. I got to hear their stories and, and hear what they were doing in that sector. Yeah, so I was kind of had, did have a bit of a creative in a creative background, but then also working with the community. I thought this is a weird kind of comb- combination, and and I was actually somebody actually said to me, "Why don't you um, go into chaplaincy? Because you're basically already doing it." And our organisation in the, this was in the community sector at that point um, wanted to introduce more. They were they did have a pastoral care sector as well, where it was actually um, had a Catholic um, background. Um, and so they were keen for me to, to do the pastoral care side, um, as well as doing direct service del- delivery and looking after the volunteers. So I started then studying chaplaincy and that kind of opened a, a whole new world for me because it was perfect. It was kind of that bridge. It's, I think chaplaincy is so unique because uh, it's really just that, pres- that, that, that presence. You're being there with, with people and helping them to, to explore what they're going through but not just from a, a practical or emotional space but also a spiritual space it's kind of looking at the holistic care of a person mm. uh, and and I really love that space because I think I I recognize that I, I feel that there's so many different dimensions to a person and um, and I really acknowledge that I think there's so many parts to to humanity and people that being able to, to do in that place was an interesting thing. So, yeah, so that's how I started. I was doing um, also supporting the artist in our church at that point too. I saw that, that I think kind of seeing what I saw by going out of the church, I really saw that it, it is hard for people who are out outside in the industry who don't always get to, to go to church and, and they have a different creative experience to mm-hmm. sometimes their faith-based con. Um, context and they kind of um don't always know where they they fit as well and um I think I was really passionate about yeah about people who just really passionate about um about using their gifts in other other places not just the the church context Mm -hmm. um and also I realized too that um there can be a lot of pressures and, and things like that out when you're out in the industry as well. And I think um, a lot of churches and, and things like that can, you know, they have got that community there and around you, but a lot of people who, who don't have that are out in that space and they're very much by themselves and they don't have anyone to really look out for them. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself more and more where people would say, hey, I've got this friend and uh, they they don't really connect anywhere um, they don't, they're not religious and they don't really want to go to a church, but they would just like someone to, to chat to them and, and you've got a, a bit of a community background and would you, would you just come in and, and have a chat to them or they're struggling with, um, I was once called into a situation where someone who had, they just found out that they were, they were a singer professional singer and they weren't able to sing anymore they had had an operation and they were told that their voice would probably never come back so they were distraught like absolutely distraught because for them this was like their whole identity Mm. um you know like them as a singer what will I do if I can't sing um and they had to make that decision of what what did they what would they now do what would life look like for them and that was a real crossroads for them. And they also, they didn't actually at that point even know whether they wanted to live. So their friend just said, hey, would you come and and speak to this person? So I came in and, you know, just, just listen to them. And um, I was somebody who was a bit um, on the outside and, you know, didn't, wasn't, mes- wasn't connected to their, their company or anything like that.
1: Yeah.
2: And could help them e- explore what was best for them. And obviously empower them then that you know life is worth living you know you're not just you're not your talent you're you're a person outside of that and you're valuable it doesn't matter what you do you still have a purpose and um, we were able to kind of look at, at what that was for them as well and, and get them also refer them on to the help that they needed and I think that's kind of where I my journey kind of started with with the arts and entertainment, but there was no real formal thing at that point. I was kind of just doing it in, informally, yeah. <laughs> kind of going out there and um, and meeting with people. And it just I think my first big opportunity was when um, there was a corporation uh, it was actually quite a well known radio station, and they were going through a situation with a, a suicide threat, um, and one of the, the staff there reached out to me actually someone had committed suicide and uh, they reached out to me and they asked me to come and debrief with the staff um and and then I realized wow like there's such a need for uh, um for people to go into that space and um just provide that that safe space for them to be able to talk about their feelings in a way that they're not
1: going to be judged wow and how did that transform into something more, I guess, official? Yeah, I think
2: the more like I started to um, branch out into those areas, um, it kind of just took on a life for itself. So I was accredited through an awesome organisation called Chaplaincy Australia. And I went back to them and I said, hey, like, have you um, explored the area of chaplaincy in the arts? And they said, no, actually, we haven't. There's, there's nothing like this. And I went, oh, maybe maybe it should be a thing. And at that point they said, well, why don't you go and start it? So why don't you um, go out and, um, yeah, well, you already have started it. So it's just a matter of... Um, and formalizing it and at that point I was like no way <laughs> like I'm I'm just like wanting to be like that friendly person and and really feel feel a need um I don't know that I can actually start an organization <laughs> and um and then uh, from a bit of toing backwards and forwards and kind of going to a few other people I realized yeah like um I think this this is something in its its own right, and I I had a real heart at that point too to um, really make it something that was really accessible to 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 the arts and entertainment, where mm-hmm. where artists um, no, no matter what their background is, like no matter what their faith is, or no matter what their journey looks like, feel comfortable to be able to go, hey, like this is a safe space for me to come and we started, I started um, some support groups in the industry. I think the, the biggest thing came out and I find this a lot in the, in the industry is, you know, it's just that needing to feel like that they belong somewhere in the mm. industry, it can be so cutthroat and you, yeah. you don't know where, sometimes you don't know where your next job is going to come from or you're comparing yourself, you're competing for things and it's really hard to have meaningful re- um, relationships sometimes in, in that space. So mm. um, I guess what my my vision was was to really begin to unify the arts and entertainment and, and make it um, have dialogues that would, make it that we can we're all human and we all go through similar things and we all struggle with various things and it's not weakness going through struggles like this it's not weakness but by voicing things that we can actually go oh okay we are actually quite similar um and we are still human at the end of the day by creating safe spaces for people to come in um I was able just to see people I think yeah just be able to sometimes just talk it out confidentiality and see that they're not alone and be able to pull other people together from maybe similar similar faith backgrounds or different and and connect them in a way that that goes you know where we're on this journey together and we're all we're all sorting it out together and and also just really to empower the industry as well with skills as well Mm. Uh, I think that's a big thing, too. I think there's a lot of stigma out there, especially in in mental health and things like that, you know, um, sometimes it can be pushed under the (laughs) under the carpet, too. And um, especially as creative people, you know, your your craft, you are your craft, I've I have talked to this with my guys all the time, you know. You know they have to kind of go into a job and, and switch it, switch off, and, and be present. But that's very hard sometimes when you, uh, your body and your emotions and everything have to be engaged. If, if you're an actor, it's, it's your person. You're putting yourself out there, and so it, it's my my hope that we would be able to to not always just put things under the carpet, but we can mm. we, we can have some really honest and, and real conversations. So. So that kind of led me down down that track um, to to start to formalise a little bit.
1: You're listening to episode 40 of the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast with guest Shana Lovell. You can listen to other great episodes in this series on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, like my conversation with Josh Hawkins from Hi Josh in episode 33.
0: The whole idea of going viral is... Uh, unmeasurable let's put it that way Mm. Um, no one knows why, no one knows how no one can replicate it it's simply like yeah, it's just one of those things Yeah. then yeah, I made this video which was a compilation of Snapchats I was doing these like trick shots I guess you could call them um, me throwing things into other things um, over Snapchat I was getting kind of good feedback from friends I think I posted the first one I did and Maybe a 1,000 people watched it or 1,500 or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's that's more than normal. That's kind of cool. So I kept doing it and, like, upping the ante, doing harder things. Yeah, I, I just had this list of, like, impossible things that, um, you know what? I was like, oh, that's probably possible if you just try hard enough or try long enough. So I did. And, like, some of them took hours. I, I was just waiting for the ultimate final... Like the last one, and that was like the knife into the knife block. And I was oh. like, this, this is really difficult. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is going to be possible, but th- the more time I put into it, the more I was like, well, if I turn back now, I've just wasted six hours of my life.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I kept six going, hours. I
0: kept going, and then eventually it went in and I posted the video like the next day. And, uh, yeah, it went viral, like, immediately.
1: That was an excerpt from episode 33 with Josh Hawkins. And now, back to this conversation with Shana Lovell. So you are involved with Chaplaincy Australia broadly and then have sort of founded this creative arm of it and you've done events I believe like Mercedes Benz Fashion Week Mm. and things like that I had in mind already to ask you about like those experiences but I think it's particularly interesting in light of your background and sort of your early days of your career being amidst the homeless and the isolated and people like that how is it providing care and love and and skills as you say Mm. to kind of people who are in the lowest positions and the isolated positions and then in a space like fashion week where it's incredible wealth and glamour and and you're surrounded by people yeah, you know,
2: people are people at the end of the
1: day. Yeah. And I think that's what I, I really learned from this. I think, mm.
2: you know, I, I think God sometimes has a, a sense of humor. I feel like the most unlikely person that God would send into this world. You know, as I said, I, I either wanted to go into the, the re- religious world or I wanted to go off into to build schools in Asia or Africa. I knew that I would be helping people, but I didn't quite always know that it would look specifically in the arts and entertainment space but I think yeah I just see that people are people and it doesn't matter Mm. whether you are um, the most famous person and I've had a lot of them or you're homeless you're still dealing with life it just might look different or totally it showed me that looks can be deceiving too Mm. um I think like even with fashion week and I think anyone in the industry even if you're listening to this you'll probably laugh you know it yes there are the glamorous things and there are the parties and there are the beautiful beautiful people and things like that but there's also the very unglamorous side behind Mm. the scenes and especially for fashion week like you know the staff just work so hard for fashion week, you know, there's the events, like you've got you've definitely had the designers, but you've also got the events people, you've got security and you've got um their their head CEOs, and but then you've also got the models. And even the models, you know, they might look amazing on the catwalk, but there's still a lot of just hanging out in the back lots and <laughs> and getting your hair done and getting get ripping those clothes off you you've got to do changes backstage to go for go on the stage. I think that would be the the first Tell you that uh, it's you know it's your body you know you're mm. um, you're being exposed and and yeah you can get used to it but. Uh, it's not always glamorous. I remember I see Fashion Week too. I, I laugh quite a lot how sometimes they, they're going into the bathrooms and having to, to get their hair dye put in their head and they're like girls are kind of you've got 10 girls in one tiny bathroom rinsing their hair in a tiny sink and yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like if only the cameras came in here like <laughs> we would not put the cameras in there. Yeah, it's so funny how there's such an image uh, that is portrayed but it's not always always the case. And for the ones that do make it, there's a lot of people that don't. And,
0: mm. um, you
2: know, I... Um, I can't remember the stats off the top of my head, but actually, the the stats for actually the under being under the the poverty threshold for artists is actually quite high. Um, you know, they don't make minimal wage, and the money they make doesn't always directly go to them. And so, um, so yeah, there's some artists that are making it tough, or even some artists that you think would be making a lot of money, but doesn't necessarily mean that all goes to them. So, mm. so yeah, so I guess my background in some ways has did prepare me for this weird world um Mm. um and and sometimes and sometimes didn't like yeah I guess I did have to learn on the spot and I I laughed when I first did fashion week I didn't actually go out to do fashion week. Actually, I, I was leading a support group of models and and I was also working with an organization in the US in a, a modeling agency there. And, and some of their girls were coming over to Australia from New York and, and Paris and, and London and, and coming over. And some of them were as young as 16, don't have have any family here or nobody that they would know other than their agent and being put into houses that sometimes you know it can be quite isolating because they're 16 never lived alone and they use Australia often as the training training ground for young models early on their career I remember getting a phone call actually from a mother who was in the New York actually she got her got my number from I don't know somewhere I love I actually love <laughs> sometimes finding out how randomly people get my numbers I think um, you know, sometimes it's quite divine, um, divine timing. They somehow got my number and the mother called me and just said, oh, I've got my daughter and she's with an agency um, and she, they put her in, in a housing situation and they're all guys and she she's um, feeling a little bit unsafe and she's calling me crying every night and I feel so far away. Um, would you be able to call her and just see if she, she needs anything? Um, so I was able to call her and then we were able to, chat to her agency and work out putting her into a, a bit of a safer environment for her and and kind of walking that journey with her. And and so that's kind of how it started, kind of started from that in the modeling industry. And I was also for a little bit a chaplain in, in the rugby, rugby union wow. <laughs> um, as well. And so when before like arts and entertainment, I was doing that, I was actually um, a, a chaplain for the wives and girlfriends of professional athletes as well. Oh. and and similar like similar situations sometimes with with girlfriends or or girls who had to have had no their their husbands were traveling and uh, Mm. were kind of left by themselves and so yeah so that kind of um, ex- explored that that support group, and then they kind of said, "Hey, we'd love you to be present in Mercedes-Benz. And then Fashion Week and um, yeah, the the companies that were involved with there really saw the value uh, in what I did. and yeah, um, really really understood the real need to provide support um, and I was also working with the volunteers as well with Miro Dor who he's he's a champion Miro <laughs> oh, Miro if you're listening to this your team is amazing he just really could see too that there was that need for and added just the well-being I think see, sometimes fashion week can get so busy you forget to eat and you're inside a lot and it's so fast paced and and things like that so um, I would just even go around just making sure people were drinking and people were eating and then working along um, first aid, and you know there's always someone that faint and things like that. And um I, I mean, I did have to learn the designer's names. <laughs> so, so many funny stories, I guess, of the early days of having to, yeah, kind of go, oh, I think that's a designer. I'm not sure. Mm. being a little bit nervous. Um, but, but I think that I think that works well because I think if I was to, Oh, my goodness! that's such and such then, yeah, you know, that would defeat the purpose. So, um I just kind of saw that everybody is
1: valuable and and really tried to to meet them where they were at. Yeah. And how about your own well-being? Because I can imagine, like, being in an environment like that, it could be easy to become insecure, or become really aware of your own appearance and things like that. But even also like just transference of trauma and dealing with other people's issues yeah. all the time. How do you sort of, I guess, cope with or work through or protect yourself from that stuff? Yeah, that's that's a very, that's a, a big one. Um, Yeah, as time
2: went on with Fashion Week, yeah, you do begin to, to get a little bit more in the know. I think for me, you know, I learned that like fashion, fashion is, is a wonderful expression of, of creativity. And I love fashion because there, there is no boxes, there's no constraint. And I feel like, well, there are things that do sell and there are trends and things like that. I feel like fashion can be a real tool as well to be able to express creativity. And I think if you keep that balanced and you can keep it, um, in in balance for what it is and not take it too seriously. I think the moment you try to take yourself too seriously is the moment then you you go on that 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 spiral of insecurity and that mm. that breeds uh, negative thought patterns when you're suddenly starting to 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 compare yourself and second guess yourself and things like that. So, I think I learned that I had to have a very healthy look at fashion. And personally, I probably had to learn to kind of, because I went in it not from the fashion side of things. I went in there really from the people side of things. I think I had to just put it all in perspective. Um, I think I had to definitely... Learn to to be presentable and things like that, and adapt to the culture that we were in. I think I learned very quickly that if you don't know what to wear, just wear black. <laughs> like I think black yeah. is a safe colour in in the industry you're in, but then you also don't want people to think that you're just one of the volunteers. I, I would get that to you an intern because <laughs> I look very young as well. Are you an intern or you're a nun? <laughs> That's that I would get. that like, yeah. nah, I'm not. I'm neither of those. Oh, when I was volume to my time but i would be like yes i am um i do have a purpose for being here yeah so i think for me it would be not not allowing myself to go on that sometimes it's just literally picking myself on up on my thoughts and going okay shani is starting to take this a little bit too seriously let's just have fun with this let's just explore this and also realizing it's not about me at the end of the day it's not about me it's it's about what I represent and and the people I'm there to to serve and and I think if you go from that perspective it takes your thought pattern off yourself and it puts it onto others again it comes down to that that we're all we're all battling with different things and, and we don't always know from the surface and keeping that in perspective as well and not not getting caught up with with how how things look or how i should be yeah sure there is there can be um you know just being female there are um, things that, that you know you, you can but um, yeah I think I just have to always just take my thoughts captives pretty quickly and realize too and I'm there as a professional to do a job and um, and do a quality service uh, as well um, so whatever can help me do the best job in that is, is what I do so
1: yeah and have fun with it <laughs> yeah it's good and then chaplaincy I love what you said the feedback that you got and obviously being invited to come and to come back. But chaplaincy doesn't always get a great rap and it doesn't always make sense to people why something faith-based or religious would be involved. Like, What's your perspective on that? Obviously you believe in it. Yeah. I, I love chaplaincy because, again, we're not there to... I think chaplaincy,
2: you're not there to put an agenda on anybody. Going out into the secular world... I'm seeing how sometimes some Christians can become quite insular and you can kind of get caught up in it's all about how many you know, attending <laughs> attending church and I think we all know some people sometimes the Bible bashers, we like to call them, <laughs> or some Christians I think can just be really weird <laughs> and um and kind of like make it all about um them rather than where people are at. And um you know there's great Christians out there who are not like that, but there are some that can put their own values and their own opinions on other people. And I think um the more that I've been out in the world and out in the in the sector i can see that's that's not cool and um and I uh, and i i think now i i realize that there's a big world out there and and that i'm i'm totally in love with and passionate about about people out there and so i think just listening i think that's what's beautiful about chaplaincy is we're not there to to push an agenda not there with any bias and obviously i do have a faith and and i do have that faith background but I, I realize that, yeah, that was my past. That's not everybody else's past. That is my foundation. Um, but I, I do have appreciation for where people are at, and keeping the main thing. The main thing is, I guess, I, I really just care about people being being healthy and whole and things like that. Um, so that's where where uh, chaplaincy in the space comes in. And yeah, like if if people do have a faith, then I do are called on to do that type of thing but other than that it's just making sure that people are healthy and their well-being is is well and across the board and and there is still that stigma I think it's changing a bit now but there was that stigma that a chaplain was a a lay priest (laughs) or something like that and usually an old guy that carried a bible around (laughs) and used like but around jargon but I, I guess I'm just who I am and I, mean, I don't hide my faith but in the same way i'm if you don't believe what i believe then that's fine and i'm 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 more than open to hear what you're as i said i did an internship with a um a muslim program and an uh, outreach worker and worked alongside them and i found that like in intriguing because while we had our differences we also had some things that were similar where we wanted to make sure there was um you know, engaging youth and young people and making sure that they weren't
1: engaging in in things that would be harmful for them. So, yeah. You were mentioning to me um, prior to the interview about work you're doing overseas as well and with the un would you be able to share that part of your journey so
2: yeah i guess it's from this so um yeah studying yeah arts care international and having that space um, now having an opportunity to travel even with with uh, the creative creative space i kind of found myself to being called upon to provide support to areas of government as well and government i guess well it's different it's not arts and entertainment some of the the issues that they face they still are in the public eye and Mm. um and you do get scrutiny for a lot of things and you're constantly being judged and um and misrepresented sometimes or having to make very big big decisions and um and i find it's a real privilege to be invited into those spaces um and so yeah so i've been asked to uh to advise and I've been working on a few programs um, with the UN and and working um, in their kind of, um, even just internationally as well in the whole interfaith um, dialogues as well, kind of like what I was saying before, I think, yeah, seeing how we can work together for the, the common good of, of humanity and um, kind of putting our, our, our judgments and our bias behind and really advocating on behalf of peace. So um, I've had a few involvements in, in peace projects and things like that. And also just I've got a real um, vision, I guess, is to really be providing care into into spaces too with uh, aid workers and, and people overseas as well who are very so- socially isolated as well. And, um, you know, when you're constantly being placed overseas with different responsibilities, sometimes away from family and things like that, you're not quite sure who your support is networks are and so yeah it's been a real privilege to have be involved with dialogue and create things um and that and to yeah see what we can do to provide levels of care so yes on on the side of this i've also got my own kind of consultancy business i guess you can call it as well with um with working with other organizations and we do i do have a website that hasn't been released yet but will be probably hopefully by early next year uh, which also works a bit with just lead, like leadership it's like a leadership program as well and working um, on, on that like on on healthy values too and what does that look like in 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 different spaces too what keeps us grounded and healthy and whole um, when we might have when we might be challenged or or what forms our our world, world view, and how can we use that to to better society? So I'm really excited about that program. So yeah, so I've had a, a few opportunities to travel overseas uh, with that, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think that's definitely a space um, that I'm in, in. I'm enjoying too having organisations call me into. So now I have different. Um, organizations ask me to come in and say, look, we really do want to be able to look after our staff and it actually does here in Australia fits under WHS as well and so how can how can we do that and whether I work with Chaplaincy Australia um, to place a chaplain or it could be, um, yeah, looking at, at what they already have and all coming in and doing training with them. It's always interesting the different avenues and discussions that we can have which, uh, which is just beyond beyond faith so that doesn't really necessarily have to
1: have a spiritual um context but it's just about um how do we do life well so yeah and if people listening want to get involved either from the perspective of helping out or from the perspective of using the services of of any of the things that you are involved with yeah how would they go about that yeah, so they could email me, probably that's the best way, just um,
2: chaplaincy at artschaplaincy.com. So if you want to to contact me, I would love to have a conversation with you about either how we can provide, if you're in the arts, even if you're, if you're an artist and you're feeling like you're a little bit alone out there and um, you want to get connected into other creative people on similar journeys to you or you're in an organisation and you're dealing with artists and... Um, you know they're coming to work and they've got very difficult problems that are impacting onto their work or you want to you want to create a really great work culture um, then I'd love to hear from you or if you want to be plugged in so I also have um, ways that we can um, plug you into other
1: services as well so yeah and then for you in your journey yeah Has there been a particular scripture or story or even figure in the Bible that's been really significant for you? Yeah, oh, so many. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the Bible because there's so many
2: stories <laughs> about people, just ordinary people going through so many different challenges. And um, yeah, I think for me, probably the story of Esther has been one that has been um, really important to me. She was uh, just a, a normal girl, just an orphan, you know, was thrown into some very kind of challenging situations where, um she had to be very brave and i think for me i've had to learn how to be brave and um sometimes a bit out of my comfort zone and um yeah draw on draw on my faith about how even though god isn't even mentioned in that story how she had to have a a strong resolve and keep focused In a time when really her people were actually being threatened to be killed and exterminated, and she had to uh, be a voice to keep them keep them safe really um so yeah sometimes I I feel like that and I always do love David I love the Psalms I guess being (laughs) having that creative bent he's such a poet and I love reading the Psalms and and there's always something new and and different in there that I see every time so I
1: would say I get comfort from both yeah amazing yeah and then in terms of what you personally believe how would you sum that up for us in terms of, I guess, your faith and therefore your worldview? I guess I, I really believe that um, everyone is valuable. I think I,
2: listening to people's stories, I, I hear how um, everybody is so unique and, and so individual. And um, But I love that even though everyone has different stories and some have you know, amazing backgrounds or some might have really traumatic you know abuse like i've sat with people have just been like abused or um you know so many different uh, different stories but i love how even given everybody's stories everybody is still valuable and um i really i believe i guess in my faith that there's a really there is a reason for everything and while you don't always see it at the time um it doesn't matter Now this is going to sound like a bit of a. I really do like this story because it is like a a hundred, like you know, a hundred dollar bill. Even though it might be, you know, dropped on the ground and stood on, or you know, it can be crumpled up, or you know, it can be tossed around, but it still doesn't lose its value. Um, It's still worth something, and you can still cash it in at the end of the day. And I think that every every person from from the most famous to the least famous to the the biggest criminal (laughs) to the most innocent person still worth um listening to and and i believe too i guess having a faith in god that um he does love humanity and i think that he is only a breath away even if you you don't believe in god Um, he, I still think he does believe in humanity. And I think that, I think I just want to encourage people, I guess out there, that if you feel that you've been, um, tossed around in life, that life hasn't given up on you yet. And as long as you have breath, uh, as long as you can breathe, there is still, there's still a reason that you are alive. And, um, yeah, so I guess that's, that's my world worldview. And I have seen, um, yeah, I think there's still hope.
1: And so what are you hoping that the future looks like for you? I'd really like to continue just to...
2: Develop a really good quality of care. So I'd love to um, just engage with more and more artists and have more and more dialogues <laughs> and um, and see how this how this organisation evolves and 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 expands. Um, and we're working on a few programs now. Even working with um, with other countries, with even mentoring programs where we can um, allow artists here in Australia to go over and um, and help mentor um, artists in third world countries and um, a bit of a skill exchange but also supporting the creative industry over there so um, I'm looking forward to more of that and um, to see how some of these more um, these uh, interfaith projects out out work as well and um, yeah hopefully be able to bring a little bit of peace and and uh, a little bit of yeah just more goodness to the world that makes that's so cliche <laughs> but uh, yeah i think that's what i hope to and, and just to keep keep laughing <laughs> so important to keep laughing
0: the sparrows and wildflowers podcast is hosted and produced by rachel hogan if you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast send an email to hello at rachel